passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, it's Rewind to Raw. I'm John Pollock, joined by Waiting. Another week here at Post Wrestling. How are you, Way? Hey, John. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing great. Okay, I'm trying to read that one. Yeah. What does he really mean? I don't know. That's that's hmm. for you to interpret, I guess. I think it's a good seven out of out of ten. Yeah, sure. It's my interpretation. Yeah, we'll see how it is in uh, ninety minutes or so. But uh, you had a nice weekend. <laughs> I think so. Uh, think I'm so. sorry. I'm sure? just. I'm really bad at remembering my weekends. Everything honestly kind of blurs it, blurs and blends together right now. So, um, I'm well, pretty then that's sure. a good weekend. There's not something terrible that's uh, coming to mind. Like, oh, I just I don't weekend have weekend disaster. I don't have weekend activities anymore. You know, like every day is sort of a weekday. <laughs> so, um, I, I guess uh, my my parents visited. Oh, that's nice. So that was nice. How's Wing doing? He's doing well. I miss him. Yeah. Oh, you're. I mean, he can come and visit you too, if you want. Was he asking? I'm sure he was asking about me. He was not asking. No. But he does ask occasionally. Yeah, he asks about like your kids actually. Oh, does he? Yeah. Very very nice of him. Yeah. Does he like being a, a grandfather again? Yes, he loves it. He really does. Yeah. Um. And, and like, you know, with, with like his two prior grandchildren, I suppose that like they're teenagers now. So, um, it's been a while and, you know, they also kind of grew up outside of the country. So this will be the first one that he'll actually maybe see a bit more often. See, he strategized you. He was going to like go through the whole, (laughs) the, the whole process of becoming a grandfather and then he was going to miss it. But then he knew he had way. Down the line, as his like his draft pick down the road that was going to bear children at some point. <laughs> Something tells me there wasn't much planning um, in my creation. So, well, we have lots to get into today. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. I'm so sorry I started the show like this, but nonetheless, we uh, we have uh, much to discuss from tonight's episode of Raw, where it it seemed that uh, we are going against two NFL games. So to combat that. We are going to put as much wrestling in the ring as possible. We just had long wrestling matches for the most part on Raw and Dexter I, Loomis. I suppose so. Um, did it feel that much more than usual? I'm, I'm curious to know like what, what the in-ring content these days of Raw is compared to 
you know, the, the prior regime or, or tonight's episode compared to last week's? Uh, I, I mean, it, it's certainly gone um, significantly heavier, I would say. It would be, mm-hmm. would be worth looking at. But like tonight's matches, like we had five matches, 20 minutes, 13 minutes, 15 minutes, 17 minutes, uh, 15 and a half for the, for the main event. Five minutes stretched over three hours? Five matches over three hours. Sorry, five matches over three hours. Yeah, I, I just asked because, like, you know, on, on Grand Slam, they've announced, I believe, five matches. And that'll be five for matches two over hours. two hours. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and then eight for Friday. Eight for Friday? Rampage eight. has eight Oh, it's a two-hour show. Yeah, yes. forget Rampage. Just two hours. That's crazy. <laughs> I would love to see them try to program eight matches in an hour in AEW. That would have been – I mean, they do it on Elevation. I Yeah, maybe even more than that. Sure. Yes. Uh, so this week we are going to have a show right after both nights of Grand Slam. So we can let people know. Uh, rewind to Dynamite. Normal time, 10 o'clock. We'll be on the air uh, discussing that show. Friday night, though, we will be on an hour later to accommodate the second hour of Rampage. I know everyone has demanded four-hour Friday nights uh, in, in case you, you want to do anything else. So uh, we will watch the shows on Friday and then we will go live for all post wrestling cafe members at midnight Eastern. It's going to get crazy. Cafe after dark at midnight Ooh. as we go into the early hours of Saturday morning. Uh, maybe, maybe Brandon himself will, uh, will, will give us a call at uh, two in the morning. I will actually have weekend plans this week because I'll be recording Rewind of Smackdown on Saturday. That's right. Yes. So that will be happening on Friday night. The big one for cafe members is Tuesday. We are going to be chatting about Starcade 1995. What is Starcade 1995? You ask. It's the show that Way's going to be watching once we finish Raw tonight. Well, actually, I did spend some of my weekend watching it, and, wow. and I'm I'm about halfway through the show. And this is a very special show, John, because it is WCW versus New Japan Pro Wrestling. I have a lot to say about this show. <laughs> so do I. It will be saved okay. for Tuesday. So you, you still have the second half of the show to watch? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Oh, is the best yet to come? No comment. I you just will. I just don't know how you top, you know, the incredible xenophobia that WCW was able to present in Japan versus the world and every Well wait, the, wait, oh, let's not goodness. say anymore. Let's let's get together on Tuesday and you know what the cafe is gonna be serving? You know what you and I are gonna have as we do this review? You and I are going to uh celebrate Starkey ninety five by having some Otanis together. Okay? So that Ooh. is that is what we're gonna look forward to. Some official Otanis as Dusty Rhodes uh, dubbed his alcohol of choice for one specific New Japan junior heavyweight that was on this show. So all that and more to come. Dusty Rhodes calling New Japan and Bobby Heenan exporting Japanese culture to an American audience. That's what you get to look for. And Tony Schiavone is traffic cop in the middle of this, <laughs> this just odd event. Uh, so that is Tuesday. Uh, also this week, it is the much anticipated return of the wellness policy. What are you three going to be discussing on Thursday? Well, I actually won't be properly on the show, John, but I will be dipping in as a passive observer. Okay. Um, but this week, it'll be Jordan Goodman leading the charge with our man, Neil Flanagan, and the two of them will be spending the episode talking a bit more about a career-focused episode. Uh, he actually sent me a little bit of a, of, of, a, of a sort of a live read here. A spoiler? You know? 
I, I don't want to say spoiler, live Thursday, September 22nd at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Jordan and Neil will be exploring the concept of career in 2022 and beyond. Dreams, money, jobs, education, internships, mentors, entrepreneurship, side hustles, and so on. They'll be using Seth Godin's linchpin as a jumping off point, but there's no need to read the book to participate live. This is a book that Jordan has wanted to discuss for quite some time. And in fact, it's really helped him, you know, I think, uh, find his um, career, uh, prior career working for Ring of Honor, actually. So I'm very curious to hear him talk about that. And uh, obviously curious to hear the rest of the post wrestling members call in as well. So, uh, yeah, I'll probably be releasing that link out there sometime uh, Wednesday. Look for that. Okay, so that's coming out uh, Thursday. Thursday night, Rich Fan and Karen Peterson will be chatting about the latest edition of She-Hulk uh, for Cafe members. And then this weekend, we've got the NWA podcast. We have WrestleNomics and Hell Freezes Over. It's the return of post-pro-res. Myself and WH Park, we have carved out some time. Sunday night, we will be doing a show. Uh, we will look at some of the highlights of the uh, the the show that is going on from New Japan that day with a. Uh, the rematch between Will Ospreay and David Finley. Uh, Noah's got a big card this weekend, and we'll be catching up to date on all the latest Japanese pro wrestling news. So a, a packed schedule, and all of that can be found at postwrestling.com. One last thing to plug here, and that is plug, if plug, you plug. are in the New York area attending AEW Dynamite Grand Slam, Davey Portman will also be down there. He'll actually be hosting some sort of um, pre-Grand Slam get-together at Cheap Shots Bar uh, in Queens at 3 p.m. on Wednesday. So uh, Cheap Shots Bar, 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. Go check out Davey Portman and uh, what he has to say and all the fellow postmarks that are attending Dynamite Grand Slam. 149.05 Union Turnpike. Cheap Shots. Yeah. 3 o'clock till 7. They will be... $3 shots, $5 whiskey, $5 wings. Four hours of $3 shots before you go to Grand Slam <laughs> for four hours of wrestling. An that equation is... <laughs> that what what possible answer could be derived from this uh, other than chaos. That is bad news. Um, but great news. If maybe, are... maybe the Davey Portman meme will be brought back to life <laughs> oh, on goodness. Wednesday, courtesy of uh, John Cena, who will it... get to see all of this in person. It's good. It's a good thing. I think Cena will be there. Somebody will be there to take care of the man because uh, we know he gets crazy. Okay, so uh, check out all of that uh, great stuff this week, and I'm sure we will get Davy's uh, thoughts uh, attending Grand Slam this week at Arthur Ashe. Dicky Bird is going to be there too, everybody, all the way from Australia. Oh my! Goodness. Shout out Dicky Bird. Look at that. Well, um, Tony Khan has noted that the gate for Arthur Ashe Stadium, they have surpassed last year's gate, even though they have not sold as many tickets as last year. Obviously, you can see they have scaled the prices up this year. So they are not quite at a million dollars. If they get to a million dollars, it'll be the first time they've done a million dollar gate for a, a TV show from AEW. But it would be their fourth million dollar gate of the year after Double or Nothing, Forbidden Door, and All Out. So that is what they are... Uh, hoping to achieve over the next 48 hours. And I think Wednesday show is going to do very, very well. It's been a, a very well built up show, uh, but I'm most curious to see how rampage performs. It's, it's two hours. It is on Friday night. I think this is going to do above and beyond your typical rampage. Um, but just in comparison to like what kind of an audience they can get on Friday. Cause I think Friday way is going to represent like the ceiling of what rampage is going to attract. I don't think they're going to have, well, I mean, I could be proven wrong, but I don't know if you're going to have a bigger rampage card this year than what you have lined up Friday. 
I'm curious if like, you know, the extra hour might actually downgrade the overall rating by a little bit. Um, but you know, it, it, it's, it's a good card on rampage. I still don't know if it's hitting like that must see level, you know, when, especially at a time now where I think people are kind of conditioned to like do something else on a Friday and then maybe watch rampage on PVR. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a stadium show that they're booking a lot of matches for anyway. And to me, um, you know, you, you probably just record that and throw it on rampage as a bit of a bonus. Yeah, uh, just just looking. So Wednesday's got Danielson Moxley, the tag title match with uh, Swerve in Our Glory and the Acclaimed. Uh, Tony Storm, Serena Deeb, Athena, and Britt Baker for the women's interim title. Pack and Orange Cassidy and Claudio versus Jericho. All title matches on Wednesday. And then uh, Rampage, the Friday night portion, has Sting and Darby against Buddy Matthews and Brody King. Eddie Kingston, Sammy Guevara, the Golden Ticket Battle Royale. Jade Cargill and Diamante, which I think, Way, um, your belief is this will be... Trina in the <laughs> corner. I mean, no one else has said that. I mean, I have no idea who the OG baddest bitch from the 305 uh, could be, but um, sure, well, I'll throw my guess in for Trina. Ray Phoenix, Jungle Boy, Hobbs and Starks, Wardlow and Samoa Joe against Tony Nese and Josh Woods, and Action Bronson and Hook against Matt Menard and Angelo Parker. That That is a lot, even for a two-hour slot, even if you'll have some quicker matches in there. A lot of those will be short matches, but honestly, like you're reading that off that card, Action Bronson and Hook are the biggest attraction to me. Like, they would be the really? reason I would be tuning in. Yeah. My guess is they put Sting on last. That's 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 my guess. Yeah, that's possible, too. I guess there's a few possibilities. You could do Kingston and Guevara, but I could I, I could see those two being uh, the, the two options to close out the show. But maybe they figure, you know what? Action Bronson. He closes the night with Hook. I mean... It'll be interesting to see how much energy. I mean, it also doesn't matter because it's a tape show. You know, they like they could sweeten the audio if they really wanted to, but they might not need to. Um, but they I, tend to put the main event like off the top. Yeah, I, I I am sure you'll have something. Well, it'll be. I mean, you've got a battle royal to throw in here. You you've got a lot of options to mm-hmm. uh, to play with. But yeah, that is uh, four hours for those attending Arthur Ashe Stadium, and we move over to Survivor Series, which will now be Survivor Series. War games, which I almost wonder if they'll just take the uh, the MP3 file of William Regal and they can just put it into the video package. They do own it. They they so. could, they could use it. So they mm-hmm. announced today through the Ringer that they will be uh, ditching the Raw versus SmackDown concept, and in its place, they will have two War Games matches, a men's and women's match. And on top of that. Um, Paul Levesque was interviewed by The Ringer, and when he was asked about a trademark of war games being blood, his answer was, the world has changed. The world has evolved. I don't think it's necessary. There is still blood in WWE, but there are medical personnel to check on wrestlers if there is an inadvertent cut. If we have talent that gets cut open, usually you'll see them roll out, and they'll get looked at and make sure that nothing's dangerous. I'm just of the opinion now, given the state of the world and the pandemic, and at the end of the day, what we do is dangerous enough without intentionally making it more dangerous. Yes, we did feature bleeding for a long period of time, but we've changed that practice, and it's irresponsible to go back. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a very um, uh, specific uh, edict that Paul Levesque wants to maintain and another like differentiating um, aspect from AEW that is not shy about using blood. Right, right. Yeah, whereas AEW, I think, in recent years has kind of made a name and really embraced the fact that they are um, blood and guts. Um, and I'm sure WWE. we'll see blood on Wednesday show. I'm 
I'm mm-hmm. sure that at, at some point we will we will get blown yeah. on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, nothing really changes here. This has like always been the company policy. Uh, you know, they've been a bit more relaxed about it, and I think in recent years. But um, and certainly with uh, Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton, let's for, let's not mention about the let's forget about that one. But um, uh, for the for, most for part, Hunter I, Hunter is like biggest matches like during his heyday. I mean, he was he was never shy about you know incorporating blood for a lot of his big matches. Like even even once the edict had had, had been in place. No, no, I, I'm talking about more when it was just, you know, it was when it was fine know. to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I don't. I think it's the right thing to say if you are. I mean, if number one, your company has chosen to be in this position, and number two, I think if you're a large, like, multi-million dollar corporation, I actually feel like I wish more wrestling companies would actually take the stance. I personally kind of feel like, you know. I think blood on occasion is definitely great for dramatic effect, but I definitely think like it could be overused. And I personally feel like AEW has overused it. Um, I, I think you only bring it up for like, you know, obviously like when it's a story that, that really uh, demands it. Um, but it is dangerous. Like I, I think we're ignoring, you know, like because we're so used to it that this is not something you get in most art forms or or pieces of entertainment people just swapping blood willingly voluntarily with each other yeah the performance yeah there there certainly is that and i and i feel like i i i definitely feel like that is kind of the the side i am on especially when you when you saw the, the very first uh nigel mcginnis documentary that that he did and and just talking about the the fact that he he was not going to be in any ring where they were uh, cutting the, cutting themselves and there is that that concern that comes with it at the same time you are promoting these matches and this is always a common complaint when war games comes up when hell in a cell comes up and for i think for a portion of your audience i don't think blood is make or break but if you came up and war games very much plays to an audience that came up on Jim Crockett promotions where this was, this was introduced and popularized and these were bloodbaths a lot of the time. So that's sort of what they equate with like your big cage match blow off to a section of the audience. And I would contend, you know, a section of, of the audience that I think is, um, that they're not necessarily trying to attract, you know, the NXT war games that have taken place, they haven't had blood and have people really complained too much about those. Like from what I gathered, they were always pretty critically well received. Yeah, they were they, they were totally different different styles of matches where it was you know you took the roof off and you you introduced you know different different stuff like that. I I don't think blood is necessary in these matches. I think you can do them in a compelling way. Um, but I but I also see like th- there's audiences that you know you you're, you're trying to do both things. You're trying to promote these like violent matches that I mean just just look at like the fifty plus numbers. Like there's plenty their audience like there's a a sizable mm. audience that they grew up and that was their expectation of the big the big blow off style of match that that you have all of this and 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 that's not to say that um you know accidental uh blood is like it's not like we don't see blood ever in WWE yeah. and you've seen the 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 extreme to me that's the worst option where these guys just try to blast each other hard way and to me that that's the worst option when um guys are trying to bleed on their own and and you're potentially doing significant damage by trying to open up your partner i'm not sensing wwe like so much like promoting like hell in a cell even as like you know like an ultimately like violent you know match like i I don't get the sense that they're promoting the matches based off of 
violence, even like extreme rules. Like we know what extreme in WWE entails. It's usually just like weapons and shit, right? Um, well, that that was the drawing aspect of Hell in a Cell when it was, you know, it, it mm-hmm. was promoted as that, and it was a big deal. And over time, I mean, it was I think a, a combination of factors. Doing so many of them, you put multiples on shows, but it was like it, it sort of just became like it was not the type of match that was this um that had the same appeal i think as like those earlier years when you announced hell in a cell it meant a Mm -hmm. difference for that that month's pay-per-view yeah yeah that's right yeah i mean these days i I get the sense you know it's just more about the spectacle of seeing the structure whether it be hell in a cell or in this case war games that to me is the most interesting one i mean we're finally getting a main roster stadium-sized show I suppose the NXT ones were like that too, but like you know, it's a stadium sh- size show that you would think would would have a double ring set up. First time um, on the main roster that they're that they're doing it, and yeah. I I think it's a welcome change to ditch the Raw versus SmackDown concept. I think this has been a dead <sighs> yeah. gimmick for years, and I'm glad they identified that problem. I think if and, and this is also everybody uh, has identified that problem. The only person keeping it in place was one guy who didn't see any reason to change it. Well, and and this is also one where this is a clear move that is done strictly for um, quality of show because this was a show that sold out immediately. Your money is guaranteed from Peacock every month. Like you are introducing this concept when there's not a whole lot that you gain. You're not going to sell any more tickets when you've sold out. You've got your guaranteed money. This is strictly having a better show in their mind and something that is going to be more compelling in their view to promote rather than the tired Raw versus SmackDown theme that they obviously don't want to go through for four weeks or three weeks, actually, because this is sandwiched right after um, the Saudi Arabia show before the end of the year. So it's like three weeks between big shows. It's Hunter pushing his exact creative vision that he had developing. He had been de- developing an NXT up into the main roster. And yeah, he could have, I guess, you know, regurgitated the same cookie cutter stuff that, you know, Vince was doing for years on end successfully. Um, but he's, he's brought a number of overhauls. And I suppose, is this the latest one or, or what is the latest one? What do we see on this show that he brought back? Brought something back. Brought back. Yeah what you're referring to war games as his latest idea he has brought back man there's something else anyway please please we'll, we'll get we'll get to it in the review i'm sure mjf was doing the media rounds for aew on monday and stopped by the mma hour um which i'm sure went uh, more smoothly than his last appearance on the mma hour earlier this year which was the source of uh of uh, some friction between AEW and MJF, where uh, reportedly MJF had not cleared it through the uh, the PR channels to appear on Ariel's show. Uh, this time, it was completely different because AEW was actively promoting him appearing on this show. And at the beginning, Ariel asked him if he needed to call AEW PR or Tony Khan before they start the interview. So that that was rather amusing. It, did you get to see the interview, or did you not I have did. time to? I did. Yeah, I thought MJF. First of all, like. I would be very curious to see like the different subsections of audiences for the MMA hour. I would imagine like there is a significant portion that just had no idea who this guy is and we're just I, going to I put to the be live lost. chat I put the live chat on on YouTube just to be able to see all the MMA hour like MMA fans complaining anytime a wrestling fan is on but like unfortunately I was watching like I couldn't catch up to the I was watching an archive and I couldn't I catch see. up. But that's part of the entertainment for me is to see the all the MMA fans react. So that's that's fine. This interview is going to get a lot of attention for for their show. For AEW, I thought MJF was 
fantastic in terms of going when up is there. he not i mean to me his interviews are always very tough because they are like he is doing it as mjf but i feel like he has he has mastered what he wants to do as presenting himself as this mjf character while also getting across you know stuff that that is real that you kind of have to comb through to get to and in all of this he put a very positive spin on AEW he promoted these events and to me like this is a guy that i think AEW would look at it like here is somebody that is someone we can put out on in, into the media that it's like not every uh sports reporter is going to want to sit down with like an MJF like it's like i just don't think they're going to want to be Doing an interview like this, Ariel's very good. Reporters who don't want to talk to a character, like a professional wrestling fictitious character, is what you're saying. Right. And there's a certain dance you have to do interviewing Mm -hmm. MJF. And what you got here, like there's, there was plenty of stuff to take from this interview. Uh, but on top of it, it was like this was not, uh, MJF playing up the, I'm, I hate this company and I can't wait to leave. It was, you know, if anything, like he was putting over AEW very strong in this interview. So that's, I think, what makes it so interesting is that even in what sounds like legitimate answers, I could very well take as like being the next chapter of his storyline. You know, you just can't really tell because what what is the current storyline? He had an agreement with Tony Khan who paid him a huge sum of money and gave him a but with the, but didn't have to extend his deal, which he kept repeating. Um, by the way, he uh, is getting he got engaged to a, a redhead with a Jewish a redhead woman with a large uh, bosoms. Uh, he we made sure to answer and she sells art, everybody on Instagram. Go and check it out. So like, like he's like the whole time, like everything that he was saying. I you still doubt about whether or not he's telling the truth or whether if it's just the next chapter of his current storyline. So is that um, good or bad? I find it entertaining. I watched the whole thing. I enjoyed it. I, I think for me, like I've learned to watch professional wrestling interviews, especially like knowing that you you could tell who, who the real speakers are, or at least the people who seem like they're speaking the truth versus the people who kind of play in character. For me, like I, I, I watch NGF interviews just watching the performance and enjoying the performance and being entertained. You know, um, I don't necessarily take as fact that he signed, he got all this money without signing a contract extension. I kind of put no weight on it. I think that's, that's the majority of people that they are watching this as almost, this is an extension of television that Mm -hmm. regardless of whether you are believing what he's saying, you're entertained by it. And you can be open to the idea that he, he may be, T- telling the truth but but to me it's it's a difference than when you send out a brian danielson a john moxley a chris jericho that if if they state i have uh this is when my contract is up or this i think largely those kinds of performers they've kind of built up that credibility that you you take them at, at face value and with mjf it's 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 less of is this just an extension of your character or is this actual information and that more so goes to you know what what you're looking to achieve with these media appearances like it is to me it's like you're selling this character that if you have never watched him hopefully you're entertained by and you have a curiosity of what this guy does on on our regular programming yeah i'm not frustrated at the fact that i'm not i might not necessarily be getting truth i'm tremendously like it's the opposite i'm i love 
guessing. I love the fact that there's a performer that is able to go out there to use all sources of media that he's that are available to him to continue to play professional wrestling. You know, to continue to make us not be like buy into completely immerse ourselves into whatever story that he's making. And he could very well become 100% completely telling the truth, but he's delivering it with such a charismatic character's voice that like it's like he, he, he could be like telling us the truth this entire time. But he because he's speaking character, we, we, of course, find ourselves doubting. But it's this like guesswork that I think continues to make it interesting. Uh, some of the things he noted was he could not confirm or deny if there was a plane ticket uh, involved over a double or nothing weekend. He said he is making a stupid, absurd amount of money now, and I didn't have to sign a contract extension. And during his time off, he went with his, his now fiance to Greece and to Italy for two weeks. And then he stayed in his home because no one was going to get to see him without paying <laughs> to see him. And he put on 20 pounds of muscle, he stated. And said the show was very good while he was gone, but it was definitely missing something. And, you know, he, he got into, I, I thought it was, like, interesting, like, his discussions about, like, Cody leaving that he equated to the setup of the territory system of, you know, you did not stay in one territory for your whole career. You would, mm-hmm. you wrapped up and then you went to the next place. And there's plenty of guys that made, they had thriving careers doing that, that in this era, you're kind of restricted by one predominantly one company for the last 20 years but very few where it's you leave the major territory then it's a a several notches down and that was his argument that regardless of what your opinions are of aew if you care about pro wrestlers you should be rooting for our success because it allows me to be able to have leverage and play one company off the other like wrestlers will benefit from this system and wrestlers already have benefited by just the the immediate impact that AEW made where mm-hmm. suddenly co- bigger contracts were being given out at WWE and you do have these options. And, and that part was very legitimate, very real. And yep. the closest we got about, you know, d- discussing sort of, you know, wrestlers and the limited amount of options that they have had that, you know, as MJF, like this guy was growing up in a time when God, he was like four or five years old when WCW went out of business. Like that's sort of the, Stop. that's, Please. Stop. That's kind of what he is, um, you know, lived through. Although noting the fact, like he pretty much characterizes, I watch pro wrestling all day. And for those that are not except watching, New Japan, except New Japan, he hates New Japan. Which one day when he does the Tokyo Dome, it will be it will be a, a tremendous payoff to all of this. Uh, but he just says, I study, I study all types of wrestling. I watch World Class, I watch AWA, I watch Mid South. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody. Mm-hmm. And you know, is is somebody that just lives pro wrestling and how it can benefit him so despite his age obviously like uh, a significant I, I think that any performer should be you know you know you can take bits and pieces from many different avenues and it doesn't have to be professional wrestling but it's your direct pipeline that can be of great influence for stuff that your audience is not going to be familiar with or very very few of them are that you can make your own yeah certainly yeah um I I I don't know if like anybody told him to watch that stuff or if he just happened to like have that natural interest because you know he's that much of a nerd or that much of a student for all this stuff. Um I I just I get the sense he's just very exceptional except especially for somebody of his age to like you know be that studious about this. He I mean he's obviously incredibly passionate about it. 
Uh, he said he couldn't comment on the press conference and stating that, you know, he stated that like about Punk's comments, um, none of it has to do with me. So I can't comment on that. And it's like, it had lots to do with you in the, in the sense that, yes, your name was brought up. I don't think anyone looked at that as, you know, the same degree of what the others were, the comments being made by Punk. But the way it impacted him the most is you just shot an angle with this guy like 20 minutes before. His mm-hmm. disappearance absolutely impacts you because mm-hmm. you were set to work with this guy and now he's gone. So, um, there was definitely- kind of follow up. Like he, he said, you know, like the next time he showed up, people were still going crazy for him. So. Yeah, he, that was sort of his response to that. That yes. it didn't affect him. He brought up the numbers from the past two weeks and uh, and took credit for that. And yeah, he was asked if he had seen the fight, uh, and he couldn't comment on that. Where he reportedly was, is a neutral witness to to that, so he is obviously not going to talk about any of that. He, I thought he handled the Vince question well too. I think uh, what is it? It was Ariel. Ariel asked him like um, about leaving. I thought that was a yeah. very interesting question, and more so yeah. um, the way he answered it, like. Mm-hmm. 95% of people in his position would have just given all the ac- – and in his character, he could have just blown all the accolades towards Vince McMahon. And instead he paused and it was like he didn't just give some glowing endorsement of Vince McMahon. He acknowledged, yes, this guy's had a stellar career, but there were some unfortunate things that have come out about this guy uh, at the same time. I thought that was very notable that he felt the need to you know, not not just paint this, this wonderful mm-hmm. portrait of Vince McMahon that many – wrestlers in his position are doing um, and, yeah. and just completely excusing uh, what, what has come out as if that somehow is not attached to his, his legacy, which is, you know, very much to me negatively impacted by this. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, to me, uh, again, like why something like this is so interesting. Number one, Ariel is, is I think fantastic at this sort of like, like he's dealt with this in MMA plenty of times, like knowing like he he's interviewed like Conor McGregor many, many times, you know, like he, where you're talking to somebody and you're not exactly sure if he's bullshitting you, but you're able to navigate and weave through it you, to, to either bullshit along with the person to get to the good stuff or just, you know, like to 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 just like he's just he completely understands and, he, and he's fantastic at it. But it's it's also like for me to see that, like how MJF is able to navigate when Ariel throws th- throws in like throws in things like, you know, what, like, what do you think about Vince McMahon retiring? Um, they're two incredibly quick people. And, and that's why I think what you had here. Yeah. And um, just looking here at the, the rest, you know, he defended Tony Khan's comments, uh, stating he has more money than Jim Crockett, stating he had his back up against the wall uh, with, with two WWE shows against him. He felt pressured. Uh, but, you know, he tried to paint a very positive viewpoint of AEW, that the locker room, it's a team atmosphere. No one should be worried about AEW and, you know, trying to really quell what has, you know, kind of precipitated throughout the the summer months with all of the stories that uh, have gone from private stories to very public stories and and culminating at All Out. But it, it felt very much in line with what I'm sure that sentiment was coming out of that that talent meeting at the Buffalo show that, you know, the, they came out of it like and was actualized with John Moxley's promo to that crowd, which to me was as much a speech for the locker room as it was for the audience. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, I could see that being a reflection of the truth. I mean, is it a ref- reflection of what the truth might have been several months ago? I, I, you wonder. Um, but th- these aren't things we're, we're really going to know ourselves unless we're in that locker room. So there you go. That is uh, the interview that MJF did and uh, a huge supporter of ours as well. Yes.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. SmackDown numbers from Friday night, 2,212,000 viewers. They were down 6.5% and a 0.5 in the 18-49 to 49 demo. So they were coming off an exceptionally high number last week. So they were down from last week, but it was still a very healthy number for SmackDown. They were number one among network programs and number two on all of television behind the college football game that was airing on ESPN. Uh, they fell in 18-34, to 34, but overall, um, this was... A pretty good number, and this this one to me was built around kind of the curiosity they were trying to get out on Friday afternoon about Logan Paul making an announcement, and most people, I think, by 8 o'clock knew what the direction was, but still, what would the buzz be for um, that, that news that was going all over the place Friday afternoon? In Canada, they did 181,000 viewers, so they were um, it was their highest number in four weeks, and they were... Fourth for the night among sports, uh, but second in the demo, only behind the CFL. Rampage did 470,000 viewers, up 10% from last week, and uh, oh, 0.14 in 18 to 49. Uh, largely um, just similar to last week in the demo, but they had a big decline in 18 to 34, and uh, and young females as well. 12 to th- or sorry, young males. 12 to 34 was down uh, in half from last week and it was their 50 plus number that uh, and 20 uh, 35 to 54 that just kind of boosted the overall viewership number so on the surface it looked just kind of even with, with last week but when you look at it they they certainly had a big loss among younger viewers uh this week and brandon thurston had the the quarter hours and it it was like a a slow decline throughout the show so it wasn't as though it it grew uh but peaking in the first quarter and kind of just declining throughout the show. And that was the show that featured uh, the two main matches, Joe and Josh Woods and Darby Allen and Matt Hardy. So there you go. Rampage that I would, I would say is pretty safe exceeds the, the typical rampage number this Friday, but by how much it's, it's a big question because rampage has been, would you say cold Mm -hmm. for most of the summer? Yeah, I would say so. I won't say freezing, but it's 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 not warm, and I don't know if you're going to break people's habits for one week, especially when they're going to get a killer show on Wednesday. Are they coming back on Friday night if if you are not a regular Rampage viewer? They have a string of live Rampages coming up, including you know the the Toronto date. When, when does all that begin, John? Uh, October. I don't know when the uh, the first week. Sorry, is. not live, but like separate tapes. Yeah, yeah, se- separate yeah. tapes. Most of them are live. The Toronto one yeah. has its own date, so they've got um the first Friday of October. So they're doing. That's the unique one where they're doing two nights in Washington, Wednesday and Friday. Um, mm-hmm. so that's that's the f- that's October the. October the 5th, so two okay. weeks after after this week. So around October is when maybe you'll see some improvement in Rampage, you would think, because these are separate nights. You would think that maybe they would have a full roster available to them rather than just the, the half that didn't appear on Dynamite. Um, and, and just to sell tickets in general, they might have to beef up some of these cards. So maybe that's that might be the time they'll be looking to, to beef that show up, if at all. We'll see. All right. There you have it. Um, 
All of the news can be found at postwrestling.com. I've got a story on, on Jose Aldo uh, retiring from MMA. We will see if that's the end of his combat sports career. He's 36 years old. Do you have any great memories of Jose Aldo? Man, I was I was backstage like uh, covering the the Aldo uh, Connor fight, and I remember going from the back uh, while we were finishing the interview with the semi main eventer, and then as we were on our way walking upstairs, the fight was already over. We had completely missed the knockout. Thirteen what, seconds. Thirteen seconds. Unbelievable. Yeah. So I, unfortunately, that that is my most m- memorable. Jose Aldo moment, I suppose, but I mean, the man was also like the the standard, uh, like the 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 untouchable, you know, featherweight champion for the longest time. So that's how I choose to remember him. He was unbeaten for a decade before that Connor mm-hmm. fight, and you know, the the Connor fight, it's going to be maybe just because of the the amount of, of buys it did, it's it's going to be a famous fight linked to him. But to me, that that does not tell the story of Jose Aldo's not career. At all. I mean, from. Yeah. Uh, watching him throughout WEC where he was just the phenom. And, you know, when, when oh, that fight with Uriah Faber, when Faber posted his photo, fo- this was the original, like, day after photo that is so popular now in, in pro wrestling. But when he posted that photo the next day of his leg from those leg kicks, it was one of the most grotesque. Th- like, his leg, it was like two legs had been just mounted together. That's how, how just... Swole. He kicked his leg, leg from out of his leg. He kicked his leg from out of his leg. It was yeah. all purple. It was just the most gnarly looking thing ever. And mm-hmm. from that moment on, like Jose, all those leg kicks, which he kind of got away over the, the latter portion of his career, but those leg kicks were just, um, incredible. Um, and then, you know, coming to the UFC, having the run that, that he did. Um, if you go back, his second fight with, with Chad Mendez is one I will always remember of him winning in Rio and then just charging into this crowd and they're losing their minds uh, yeah. for Aldo as well. He had the fight with Mark Hominick up here at the Rogers Center. Oh, how could I forget? Of course. Yes, which was uh, another very graphic uh, image of one of his opponents with the, the hematoma that uh, Mark Hominick had uh, on, on his forehead as well. So uh, a legendary career uh, for Jose Aldo, a Hall of Famer and and yeah, he's still only 36 years old, which is uh, remarkable when you think of how long he's been fighting. Well, I hope he has enough money to enjoy the rest of his life without thinking about work um, at that he age. He should. He should, yeah. hopefully. But, um, you know, some that's, that's one unfortunate part that I think we will look at uh, many of these fighters that uh, whatever they made, it was not enough uh, during these uh, these incredible years of, uh, of revenue. But there you have it. Uh, Big story up at postwrestling.com on Jose Aldo if you want to check that out. But now we we shift focus to Raw, which tonight was going against the Bills and Titans on ESPN. And then the Vikings and Eagles were starting uh, an hour and 15 minutes later on ABC. So for about 90 minutes to two hours, depending on, on how long the uh, the earlier game went, they were going against two NFL games, which is very rare that that ever happens. So I don't know what impact that's going to have, but you're talking about, you know, four fan bases instead of two on on a Monday night. So uh, we saw what the impact Monday night football had on Raw last week. Uh, this week, it's it's kind of compounded when you have two games uh, going against them. So, And do you think that played a part in them starting off? The night with the the biggest match, I would say that was promoted. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of curious to see they started with that. I, I I would think so way because like the the game on ESPN had already started, but the um the ABC game wasn't starting till eight thirty. So mm. maybe that was the idea. Let's get our biggest match into the ring, and it went pretty much the first half hour of of the show. 
So uh, Jimmy Smith welcomes us to Raw at the SAP Center in San Jose, California. And tonight, we are going to find out who will have momentum going into Extreme Rules in three weeks. So still elements of the past that we have to preserve. All the people that criticize WWE for not having a proper ranking system. Have you not paid attention to the hypothetical momentum rankings that have existed for decades now? Okay. We need the we need the momentums. Someone's got to release those every week. Yes. Um, they also I, I don't know where to to fit this into the review, but I thought it was worth noting this um, this interesting promotion they're doing um, with, with the with the White Rabbit. So mm-hmm. they've been playing like um, they've been playing White Rabbit at the live Jeff- events, Je- an acapella version of Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit. Yes. So they played this at SmackDown during one of the commercial breaks, and then they played it again over the weekend at a house show and. I think this is a really cool deal where you're getting like fan videos like going up of the song and then they went. Not even that, like even even like um, I don't know, like this must be somebody in there actually leaking it. But it's like the test foot, like when they play, play it during the test in the empty arenas. Yeah, like even footage of that is is coming out. And I I, in my mind, I'm thinking it might all be intentional. It's it. it, it, Please go on. Yeah, let's talk about it now. Let's talk about it now. So tonight they there was this QR code that appeared on the screen when uh when when Austin Theory was in the back. So for people and then that, again um in the crowd, in the crowd at nine twenty three, a man walked by with oh okay that part code. I missed okay um yeah. so if you scan the QR code, it took you to this video where it's it's a game of hangman. And it asks who killed the world, and you've got the white rabbit guessing letters that leads to the answer you did, and then the flashing nine twenty three that would presumably lead people to Friday, mm-hmm. September twenty third. Yeah, yeah. In addition to nine twenty three, like the time today. Um. So yeah, when when you go to the video there, um, it's you know I, I think ever since the the white rabbit song started playing, um internet sleuths were already like hard at work and many people deducing one of two answers um the first of which i think um well being killer cross because he used to have this gimmick in lucha underground as the white rabbit um but the second being bray wyatt because anytime spooky shit happens in the wwe people think it might be bray wyatt this time though i think there is actual you know um uh, credibility to to those guesses. I, I think um, it's really clever to make like carrying cross just like mm-hmm. misdirection. Like it doesn't make totally. any sense for this to be some yeah. carrying cross deal, but it's it's mm-hmm. very smart to lead people in, in that direction to try and you know get them off the scent. I think it, it, it yeah. Be, besides that reasoning um, attached to Bray Wyatt, um, I think the fact that um, it's this sort of riddle type of thing, and not the wrestler. I mean, but you know this sort of like lead you down a rabbit hole all pun intended uh are you writing these type of thing <laughs> type of thing um that feels very much of a bray wyatt style uh so beyond that i mean we could get really deep with some of this stuff as the internet already has a user on reddit actually like dug through one of uh bray's old tweets i think from july or something like that talking about like um talking about self arkansas which is like a sort of like a i don't know some sort of weird town uh and this place called the devil's hole. Anyway, somebody Googled that. I want to give this person credit because this is the incredible amount of, of like 
hard hard research or just crazy dumb luck. But if you Google this, one of the results that comes up is a message board thread from 2005. When when you scroll up to the top, the moderator of the message board is somebody by the name of White Rabbit. Jesus now, <laughs> that is Dude. fucking 6D backgammon. Okay, Dude, like if the, that's if these more than pro wrestling companies ever take for granted. The passion of their fan base that get to the bottom of these things. I mean, I think we're starting to see that, John. And I think that you've started to see that with this new regime, where, where whether it be, you know, like like the Dexter Luma stuff. I think is is kind of like a very surface level of what this is. Like having Dexter Luma show up and then not really mentioning him. That's sort of like a basic version of what this is. But like you can see, like Hunter's been, I think, at least attempting and playing with the internet. Or at least internet sort of like uh, I don't know viral marketing, um, and Bray Wyatt to me certainly would be somebody to take that even to a further level, and maybe he already has. So South Arkansas is an unincorporated community in Boone County, Arkansas. It is the location of Cottonwood School Number Forty Five, which is located at Cottonwood and Dubuque Roads, and is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. So, could this be the return? Of Eli Cottonwood. Listen, I mean, we're bringing back NXT originals. Uh, that would be one that would be digging way back, you know? His mustache. Yeah, Eli Cottonwood, certainly. Who, yeah, uh, <laughs> that would be quite I the think uh, swerve. It. I think so. Yeah, that person on Reddit, his name is Gentleman's Bastard. So uh, all credit to him. And then, uh, you know, there are several other clues that, that would hint towards Bray, uh, including this one credit. I, I credit to John Cena, who uh, said, that come with me was 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 uh, one of the lines that was listed. It's apparently one of Bray's final word final words in his final FCW promo. Oh, so maybe maybe uh, Puff Daddy's coming <laughs> with Jimmy Page or without? Exactly, <laughs> Puff Daddy managed by Jimmy Page as a new wrestler. Yes, like following in in Action Bronson's hooks, uh, footsteps with Eli just... Cottonwood. <laughs> I, th- I think we've pieced it all together overall I, though like regardless of like getting into the weeds of all this i love this type of thing and i me too i like doing like the, you know these these things that kind of send your audience as small a number as maybe that are going to this length it's on not this that scavenger small, john. hunt john it's not that sean it's not that small like it, uh, that it, i'm it, saying it are doing this detective work to this level oh, dude, okay that are going it into, spreads, into this is what i mean like exactly. It's, it's that, that's it. It's like all Reddit. you need to do is cover like a percentage of your audience and yeah. it will spread among the audience that is most going to appreciate this when it comes. Um, yeah. And it just it just builds anticipation. That's essentially what you're doing as a promoter. You're building anticipation and finding the most state of the art ways to do that. What do what do most of us who are like MCU fans do after every single episode of one of these Disney Plus shows? We go on the internet and we watch endless amounts of stupid Easter egg videos where people fucking like they microscopically enlarge the most stupid, meaningless detail. And half the time they're actually right. They actually find stuff. Yeah, and, but and, some of the times they're, they're plenty off the mark oh, where people often, are just oh, it was he was wearing the color red, so Mephisto, anyone that knows Mephisto. what the color red uh, yeah. is obviously a callback to the loss of his father who bled blood, and uh, it means the father's alive. Um, yeah, like that is definitely you, you, the case. There's some crazies out there that just But oh, half the time, and maybe or maybe even a quarter of the time, they're actually right. And I think for years, we've been begging for professional wrestling to treat its audience with that same level of 
intelligence or at least i don't know playfulness you know it engrosses you in the material it creates so much i think positive buzz online and it just like it you know it keeps you guessing which is what professional wrestling should be doing and guessing in a good way you know a leading qr code what nerd <laughs> is putting a code on what his is, phone what does qr stand for <laughs> So we start off the show with Bobby Lashley. Is Vince at home pointing the key of the f- his phone onto the screen, trying to zoom in on what's in the background? Does somebody have to explain to Vince what a QR code is? Is he watching Raw anymore? Has That's he logged question. into Peacock yet? Has he figured out Peacock? That would be. He probably can't remember his password. He probably has to call a, Stephanie for his password. Would he have had a password to begin with? Like, why? Why would you even have a Peacock account if you're Vince McMahon? You're not coming home to watch your show. Oh, don't you want to see how your product that you're paying for that's making you money is is serving? Like, I have a Patreon account to see how our Patreon is acting. I mean, I just I just don't imagine he would be one that would like you're there. You're you're watching it. You've probably got it set up at the office or something. I don't know if he's coming home and it would it would have his own account registered and all. Going he might want to dig back into uh, WCW Starcade 1995 once in a while to see WCW versus New Japan Pro Wrestling, <laughs> Japan versus the world. Yes, and then uh, and then get Ric Flair's comments on what he thought about that main event. All that yeah. to come on Rewind Away. So let's just say this is Bray Wyatt. I mean, I think this is a good sign, okay? Because we've seen two versions of Bray Wyatt throughout his uh, you know um, um, time into the WWE. We saw, I think, you know, the like the, the the ultra cool, like brilliant idea to me. Like Firefly Funhouse against John Cena remains one of my favorite things that WWE has ever done because it's so it it operates on a similar type of level. Um, but then there's also the House of Horrors Bray Wyatt, which what happened there, I don't know. Um, you know the the. Alexa Bliss bleeding from the face, Bray Wyatt, which I mean, I, we still don't have much of an answer for. Uh, oozing, oozing oil. I mean, like there's just like. But then it really hit its peak when him and Braun had the uh, their their underwater adventure. They recreated Waterworld. Remember that? What? They, they were in the swamp or something. Oh they, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Like there was so much good stuff, but then there's way more bad stuff. So is this going to be, like what is Bray Wyatt going to be like under a different regime? What was always the issue there? What like you can always tell there was maybe some like beginnings of a great idea, but just like the follow through would typically just be completely awful. Is this it going needs to, be, to be in the hands of like creative ideas that like they are in sync with one another? Mm-hmm. I I don't think that Bray Wyatt had that on the main roster, and that's despite some wins. Like you look at that. First time he came out and like that SummerSlam match he did here in Toronto and it got over so big with the entrance. Great win. It looked, it was fantastic. But then you had, you know, fast forward just two months and he's doing the Hell in a Cell thing with Seth Rollins. That was just a debacle uh, as they're just, just one, one of the most embarrassing endings to a pay-per-view I can recall in, in WWE. So, I mean, it was, it was highs and lows and I think it's got to be a collaborative process because no performer is coming in with carte blanche as much as uh, I'm sure Bray Wyatt would want something like that. Like you have to be able to collaborate with someone that understands like the character and how it works in this, this world that it's, we've moved away from a lot of, of these characters as well. Like there is a way to do them, but you have to be able to, weave them into this same world that possesses a Seth Rollins and possesses a Bobby Lashley so that it's not this 
you know, tune out factor that, you know, some of Bray's programs became. Mm -hmm. So, um, Lashley and Rollins, uh, they went 20 minutes here to, uh, to start the show. And Rollins is working on the arm of Bobby Lashley. And Smith is noting how he's, he's trying for a bicep slicer, which I don't know if you have ever had a bicep slicer properly applied. It was the, the worst pain I've ever felt of you any You often submission. bring this up anytime Dude. I think a bicep slicer comes up in, in a Every review. single time I think of this. <laughs> I just think it would be a tremendous finisher if people realize what's, how. What's worse, like a joint lock or, a, or like a muscle lock for you? Muscle lock, I think. Really? I, th- this was, I, I was putting plenty of submissions that like there was, there was – believe me, there, there was like pain to them. Bicep slicer was another level. Like mm. it just literally felt like someone was sawing through like my arm. That's what mm. that's what it felt like. Because I I don't know if it was I can't remember what the level of the guy was that applied it, but it was just like that. I, I'm done. Like you get that on me, a hundred percent. The so most you must have really submission. got into this match. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, Lashley seemed to he. he have was, you ever it, felt a hurt lock? You're right. No, I have not. I've not had a proper hurt lock applied, um, but if I had a turnbuckle to kick off of, maybe maybe I could uh, survive. So Lashley is trying for a superplex, and Rollins rakes the eyes and buckle bombs him, frog splash, and then applies a crossface. And then he, uh, while he applies the crossface, he's like he's like scissoring the bad arm of Bobby Lashley, who breaks the grip, and he does a running spear into a pedigree by Rollins for a near fall. And the audience is humming along with Rollins theme misses the Phoenix splash. The best spot of this whole match was when Rollins went for the stomp and Bobby just stayed on all fours and he couldn't put the man's weight down. He just posted on all fours and block. It was the block of the stomp. He's figured it out. I fucking love it. I, I love it. I don't think this audience appreciated it. I thought it was cool as hell. I thought it was so brilliant because it is so simple. It is so just efficient and just smart. And obviously it requires, I think in, in story like, or in kayfabe, like somebody who's ridiculously strong to withstand like that of which Bobby Lashley, Lashley belongs. Yes, he is. He's strong, but he also shows that he's smart. You like he, he uses his strength and also like minimal effort to be able to withstand this man's finisher. Uh, I loved it. Very smart. He gets caught in the hurt lock, and this is where he kicks off the turnbuckles, does the uh, the the Bret Hart spot, uh, flipping on top. But Roll- but Lashley get- kicks out, but he's still got the hurt lock applied. And then as Rollins uh, gets uh, thrown off of him, he lands on the referee. So the referee is all wobbled, and this allows Rollins to kick Lashley low to get out. Matt Riddle runs out for the distraction, and Rollins turns around and is speared. 20 minutes, 5 seconds, Bobby Lashley retains, and Rollins is furious as he stares at Matt Riddle. I wish they could have found a more unique way of doing the distraction, um, but... This, this has turned into a really good match that, by the time Riddle came out, you sort of, like... I understood what we they had a purpose for it, like it was building oh, yeah. something. But I agree, it just felt like well, we. I'm not to- mad at the distraction. I predicted the distraction last week. I just wish like we're at the point now where like we can come up with something a bit more like <laughs> clever than he looked at him. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't do anything else. He I, he looked at me. I can't, I can't concentrate on my match. I'm gonna you know eat this finish. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just like it's because they have to do like ten of these a week that they just you know throw their hands up in the air and they're like just go with the you know distraction finish A. Um, but I just I have a higher standard for this show now. 
you know, and, and so a part of me wishes that it could have been a, a bit more clever, but still distraction finish was the right way to go. You had a TV match here really that, you know, was really hot for three segments. You deliver a finish while still building towards your Rollins and Riddle feud. Lastly, it's another defense. Um, so yeah, it was good. Um, I feel like it's okay to criticize at this point now, though, that like I think Bobby Lashley is he's proving to be a fantastic babyface champion. He's making that title feel like it's a main event title because he's being presented as a main event guy. But I'm certainly ready for him to actually get a program by this point. He's winning these matches, but he's largely been using it, been used as sort of like a a device, really just a background device, if that, you know, to further other people's storylines than his own. First, it was like, like the Miz he needed Dexter Loomis to distract the Miz to to get that victory. This week it was Riddle. Like I'm ready for lastly to kind of have his like Gunther Sheamus moment. You know something that like he could be known for himself. Maybe he'll make his way to the fight pit eventually. That could be a match. Yeah, that could be. Well, it picked up at the end. I thought like there's certainly like this has been a hallmark of the last two months. Is like they are not shy about doing like your big near falls like that. That pedigree spear spot was one that, you know, him and him and Hunter did. And that was like mm-hmm. reserved, for, you know, for like your biggest of big matches uh, of the year. So um, that was a nice spot that they had. Two and, creative yeah. counters to big moves with the, the stomp and the spear here. Yeah. Damage control arrived in a limo and then they came out in this cart for their championship celebration. And Bailey acknowledges being here from the Bay Area, uh, but then insults the San Jose Sharks to get booed. And Dakota Kai says that this division does not need Bianca Belair, Asuka, or Bliss. And she's just getting lit up with what chance. And said that Belair phoned it in because she forgot what it's like to lose until Bailey reminded her at Cardiff. So that prompts Belair to come out with Bliss and Asuka. And Bailey has not decided yet when she's going to go for the title. And she makes fun of Alexa Bliss and Lily, calling Bliss a shell of her former self. And Bliss challenges her to a match tonight, saying, you're right, Lily does bite but I still do too. <laughs> Are we waiting for the joke? That was it. The bite. <laughs> I mean, yes. I'm not, I meant Lily the does bite, but I still do too. I was referring to the other biting incident, uh, in the oh. other rival wrestling organization, but um, anyway. Uh, so yes. yeah, they, they were trying to get, uh, Bailey Boot here in San Jose. I think they're having a, a hell of a time. I mean, I have to say they're quite daring on this show to have Bailey come out here, deliver a promo, and to wrestle in the main event um, in front of San Jose. And I think like they were reacting at least decently, like you know, negatively to the Sharks line. But beyond that, it was still very much at best a split crowd. Yeah, and I, I don't know if Alexa was. Like I feel, Oscar would have been a lot more effective in in the role for 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 the main event. Isn't, didn't they like do this match in San Jose? Isn't that the reason why they? That was the that was the it? thing. Like they did this, and th- and this was certainly one of those many many debated, uh, you know, hometown um, outcomes right. where yes. Alexa Bliss beat Babyface Bailey yes. in her hometown for the title uh, for uh, five years ago, um, mm-hmm. and they did bring that up in in the main event. But that was one where. A uh, lot of head scratching of why you would beat Bailey in her hometown when she was the babyface. Austin Theory against Kevin Owens and Theory. Sorry, just ha- going back to to Bliss, Oscar, and and Bel Air. I I think we can assume this might be like preliminary built towards the women's war games match. Would you think? Yeah, um, I I think for sure damage control, and I guess 
Yeah, I I don't know if this one necessarily feels like this one has. You've got to add some some players to this because I can't see this going mm-hmm. another two months at, at this rate. Yeah, how far are we? Two so September right now. So two November twenty sixth is Survivor right. Series, so over two months away. Okay, Extreme Rules is in three weeks. Uh, yes, three weeks. Okay, so from that point on, so we're getting Bailey versus Bianca there. Um, can the feud continue another like month and a half? I think it's possible, don't you? Like, okay, so let's just like, do you want to play like guess, like, because like certainly on the babyface side, if they keep these three, Belair, Bliss, and Oscar, could this be a, could Naomi and Sasha fill the other two spots? I mean, is, if you look at this, is this, um, is this big enough in the sense? Are you going to do a war games match without some of your like a Ronda, without a Charlotte, without um, you know so, so, some of those names? They could be that, in it. There's well, that's what I'm spots. saying is like maybe the, this well, gets... Sasha would be Sasha and Naomi, I think, would be would more. Than I think that would be power. certainly like th- that yeah. being Boston. Um, yeah. I, I think that would be the, the target if you're bringing back Sasha to build up to something, um, whether it's in, in the she's actually wrestling on the show, whether that's when you hold off the return until like I, I think the idea of having her wrestle on that show would be what I would be aiming for. Yeah, I mean, I think they're almost like perfectly to, they're perfect to pair with the babyface side. Um, you have Bailey and Sasha possibly meeting up in the ring, you know, um, uh, in, in a war game setting. Um, Sasha teaming with Bel Air, like, would, would be interesting as well. And it's all Boston, like, it could be that, 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 that would be my guess, maybe. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have to get, some partners for damage control if you're, if you're mm-hmm. doing like the straight uh, one on one team on, on one team. But yeah, I, I think that like, that's a very viable plan to go with. So theory and Owens uh, theory attacks Owens before the bell. And then uh, the bell rings as Owens is asked if he wants, wants to continue with this match. And he says, yes, uh, missed with a cannonball. And then there's a long headlock by theory. Owens is out, lands the swanton, there's uh, cat calls of who's your daddy, and Owens yells that he's Theory's daddy and misses with the twisting moonsault. Theory hits a blockbuster and then a cross-legged neckbreaker and keeps going for pinfall after pinfall, and then he eyes the briefcase in the corner. But Johnny Gargano appears from the ringside area and grabs the briefcase and leads to a super kick, cannonball, and pop-up powerbomb. Owens pins Theory in 12 minutes and 48 seconds. I like the fact that they did not do the mm-hmm. just the 50-50 style that Owens won two weeks ago. So Theory gets his win back. It's Owens is winning and he's on this roll and and Theory is not like we are differentiating like almost tiers of people that are that are moving forward and others that are racking up losses. I Agreed, think it's a much yeah. more effective way instead of trying to make everybody equal. I think we're just so used to watching WWE TV 50-50 booking that like we came in here with the expectation that they oh they're booking a rematch so Theory can get his win back. Um and I think we forget that like most sane like people in these sort of positions might not necessarily do this or maybe they do. Maybe I'm I'm giving, you know, um Hunter too much credit, but I I too am glad that they didn't go 50-50 here. Um I hope obviously, you know, you wish that the money in the bank winner doesn't just take all these countless pinfalls. So maybe I wouldn't have booked this match anyway, but well, that was the other thing was like the purpose of this. Like what, what did the last win accomplish for Kevin Owens? And what did the second win accomplish for Kevin Owens? 
It's a great point. Yeah, I, 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 and I think that that's the next step of like you do want to make these. You can't do this up and down the card, but I think your yeah. your your key matches like it should be like he has advanced and this is what he is working towards, and this win should bring him closer to whatever that destination is. It just found felt like they needed a, another win for Kevin Owens, and they needed a reason for Gargano to you know build some heat on Theory and. They just put these two together, despite the fact that they both had had a match the, the week prior. And then Gargano dropped the briefcase onto Theory. Kevin Patrick interviewed Riddle and said, you arguably cost Seth Rollins the match, arguably. And Riddle's going to continue to hunt him every day until he gets his rematch. And tonight he's going to help Ray get some sweet vengeance on Judgment Day. The guys that dress like the goths in South Park. Hmm. I'm not up to yeah. date on on South Park, so I'll, I'll take man. That's for it. the goths. I, uh, the goths are from like the 90s. I feel okay. Well, maybe early thinking. 2000s. Yeah. They recap the Reigns Logan Paul uh, press conference from over the weekend for November the fifth, and then out come Butch and Ridge Holland for a promo to build up their match with the Usos this Friday, and they get cut off by the Street Profits. Ha- have we heard? Pete Dunne as Butch speak on the main roster at all up until this point? Had he said uh, any human words up until this point? Yeah, the, 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 this would be the first time English uh, came out of him instead he, of uh, the wild beast. The wild dog has learned to speak human. Yeah, he's uh, he's domesticated. So they get cut off by the Street Profits um, and state you haven't beaten us yet. So we get the impromptu match between the two and Butch is stomping on the arm of uh, Dawkins, and as he's in control, Jimmy Smith, not letting go of the pass, states that Butch is foaming at the mouth. Yeah, are like is somebody throwing these lines in? Like, I mean, he really did have like a gob of spit on his mouth, so maybe. Well, maybe, maybe it was, that, uh, that an, was an accidental observation from Jimmy yeah. Smith that just ties it all together. <laughs> we come back from commercial, and. <laughs> Ford's arm is being bent, so Smith just says, Welcome back to agony. Which I can't tell you how many Monday nights uh, I said those words to myself as I sat down at 8 o'clock. Butch has a triangle on Dawkins, but Dawkins lifts him into a super blockbuster by Montez Ford. And Ford then hits a Topicon hero onto both men. They go for a super blockbuster to Holland, but it's stopped when Butch snaps Ford's fingers. They double-team Hawkins, Dawkins as a... Holland lifts him up. Butch hits a kick into Northern Grit, and they pin him in 14 minutes and 40 seconds uh, going into the tag title match on Friday. I didn't get the booking of this match whatsoever. You have just turned the Brawling Brutes baby faces coming off of the Sheamus-Gunther match. So you're going to put them on Raw against the most over babyface tag team on that show without Sheamus? You know, so they come out here. It, it to me, like it felt like the first time I, I'd see Butch and Ridge without Sheamus, and it's very clear at this point, like Sheamus is is the key to their babyface reaction that you got on Friday. Because without Sheamus, I don't think this crowd really gave too many shits about the, these two. And on top of that, you had the Street Profits for them to contend with. Why would you do that? And and then throughout the match, it, they it, kind it, of wrestled as heels. And then, like, the Street Profits are doing such spectacular finishing moves. And their move is what? A power slam with a kick. I mean, it's cool. It's, like, realistic, I suppose. But you can't compete with the dude flipping, like, you know, and, on, onto another man's – on a guy's shoulders. 
So I, I thought this was like really ineffective for, for their uh, Usos match coming up on Friday. Well, when you go through the Rolodex, I mean, you don't have a whole lot of babyface teams to put in this role to kind More of just... Or the lo- Los Lotharios. I mean, you could have, to, to your point, yeah, they obviously wanted like a babyface team, but you're right. It would have worked better for just a heel team, but I guess maybe they just wanted a... They didn't want a level of like, you're already putting Holland and Butch out there that are not your biggest stars. And uh, Los mm-hmm. Lotharios are, you know, that's, that's maybe not the most appealing. Uh, well, then how match. about a three way? With uh, Los Lotharios and the Prophets. So that at least, like, the, yeah, you the, the Brawling Groups wouldn't be the most, you know, hated group of the on screen at the time. Well, it was uh, Street Prophets were just in the role to, uh, Get these guys ready for for Friday and losing to um, maybe they need a they need a name for their their kick slash power slam. What was Northern Grit then? What the hell is Northern Grit? That's what, what he that? hit him with at the end. It's just it's accompanied by the kick. Oh, okay. So it's like a special. He just didn't win too many matches with it, so not not Got the most uh, well well remembered move. Northern like a grit. even more Northern Grit. Yes. Okay. Megan Morant interviews uh, Poppy. Hefe, Rey Mysterio. And he said he could have stopped all of this if only he had known the resentment Dom was harboring. He says Edge is sidelined, but he's not out of the fight. He's kind of out of the fight. He's off television. He's hurt. He's he's kind of out of yeah, the fight. He might be at home. He might be like tweeting support. He's figuring out this QR code and stuff. He's, <laughs> he's too busy with, a, you know, Sheriff Copeland. Yeah. He hopes that Dominic finds a way back to their family. I will never give up on my son. And then he looks into the camera. Everything I've ever done in my life is for you. The opportunities that I never had and for you to carry the legacy, but only if you want it. And then Riddle walks in doing his stoner routine that just felt so out of place here as his father's like, you know, it's like he's like pleading to the the capturers of his son like that have taken him hostage. Uh, And Riddle's like, hey, dude. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to get some sweet vengeance. Sweet, sweet vengeance with young Dom. You feel me, bro? And then Ray comes. Okay, bro. <laughs> Sound like a fool here. So, yeah. Alpha Academy met with Johnny Gargano, and they're upset about him costing Fury the match. Kevin Owens shows up, and they set up a tag match for Edmonton next week with Kevin Owens tying things together that he beat Chad Gable in Toronto and he likes beating up Gable in his home country. And it turns out they're in Edmonton next week. So Canada, your largest hometown where this, this is like the difference between <laughs> like, if you were in Buffalo claiming like Montana as your hometown, that's like the difference of like Toronto to Edmonton geography for, yes, for yes. the guy who's from, you know, Quebec. Yes, it is true, but I, I would I would be lying if if I said that you know being from Toronto I didn't feel a kinship with Brett or you know the the Hart family just just like even though they were like way further than somebody from New York for instance. Um, Wait, you were born in Scarborough, and I feel there's a distance between. I was born in Hong Kong actually, so I, I oh yeah, that's true. Never mind. Shouldn't I feel that. great about any of these guys. Who's my representative? <laughs> ho Ho Lun, I've got Ho Ho. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you've got Ho Ho Lun. He's pretty cool. Anyway, so this is uh, Owens and Gargano teaming up as a pair. Um, and I think uh, the deep, right. deep internet researchers will have recognized that these two were once a team known as the Panda Express. 
because they have a shared love of pandas. Um, I believe in AIW, even though I believe they never actually teamed up in ring. So they're, they're picking that back up. We're going to see a reunion of the Panda Express. And uh, I look forward to seeing like, not just in ring what they can do, but like they seem to have like a very witty rapport backstage. So like their personalities mixing together, I'm quite looking forward to. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine like the, uh, the AIW contingent that shows up in Edmonton next week. <laughs> Judgment day walkout. They explain that Edge has a grade two MCL strain. Grade two. And they don't know when he's going to be back. So Judgment Day cuts a promo. Rhea says they run raw. No one's going to stop them. Now that Dominic is with us. Now that he's all man. And Balor and Priest, they put over Dominic. They love this guy. And then they make fun of Edge sitting on his mountain of omnipotence, which I thought was a great line to bring that one back. And even Rhea laughs and says, even I didn't know what he was talking about with that. (laughs) And she says that Poppy is very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you, Rhea. And now... So Rhea is Poppy? Yeah. That's what Dominic... Isn't... uh, That's what Rhea said. Rhea said, Poppy is very proud of you. And then Dominic said, thank you. So... But then so, later, Dominic referred to her backstage as mommy. <laughs> well, she's a single parent, clearly, playing both roles, which she's is both very roles. modern. Okay. okay. Gender neutral roles. Cool. So, dude, Dominic, they just drowned him out with booze. And he's not the loudest talker to begin with. Ballard's even like, or Ripley was, you know, talk to the people at the far end of the arena. And he's just trying to get this out. It actually was a cool atmosphere, like the amount of booze that they got. Um, I'm very proud, too. And he's just booed. (laughs) He calls them his real family, the Judgment Day. And then Balor wants to take a family portrait, and Riddle cuts them off. But, um, yeah, I mean, they they got a lot of heat during this segment. And they just, Mm -hmm. like, there is something about, like, Dominic that it's, like, he, he has a strange, like... It just it does add something to this group having the four of them this odd dynamic. Yeah, yeah, certainly. It is uh, odd, odd Dominic, dare I say. <laughs> odd is how I would describe it because I think Dominic is just a weird fit for like this style of professional wrestling in general. Like he is the most he's I would argue like maybe the most anti-charismatic person that is signed to like a full-time deal that they currently have. Like who am I thinking? Like he's he's got like He's a way better wrestler than this guy, but he's almost got like David Flair vibes, like in that, like you know, he like he wouldn't be hired if he was not this person's son, and that is a, a terrible truth. I, I hate to say it, like, but just based off of looks alone, I don't think they would have like his build alone. I don't think they would have hired him, but nonetheless, it doesn't mean that they can't use him, and they've used him tremendously, and he is he is performing exactly to I think what what is asked of him. He came out here, and I think there's something. Well, first of all, to me, it tells me the storyline people are like, you know, gra- like really, really hooking into um, the the idea that this this man, this boy who thinks he's a man, you know, will, will, will would turn on his loving father like that unjustifiably. But then, like, he's got sort of like like sort of like Vicky Heat in that like I don't it like you're not necessarily hating him because he's a great promo, but simply because like you. You you don't like something about this, and maybe excuse or maybe it's me. Just, I said, excuse me, please. Yeah. <laughs> I have words to deliver. 
I think it's great. I think it's by far the biggest. If audiences like copycat this kind of a segment, they're just trained to try and drown out Dominic. That's fine. This guy doesn't need to be going out there and cutting these long promos. If Mm -hmm. he's getting booed, mission accomplished. Like it it, it helps for the act. And and this goes for Vicky too. Like he gets, she gets, and he gets a type of heat that other wrestlers can't get, even if they wanted to. So they've achieved that at this point. And, and yeah, let's see if they can carry it on to Edmonton and to other places. It, 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 Judgment Day has really, I think, benefited from his inclusion. And he has, and Rey Mysterio has, and Edge has too. So Riddle is out to interrupt them. And we get Balor and Priest against Mysterio and Riddle with uh, Dominic and Ripley on the floor. So for this match, they got the heat on Ray for a long time. Then he makes the tag to Riddle, and Riddle gets cut off, and he's chokeslammed by Priest onto the edge of the apron. So they get the advantage on Riddle for, like, the longest period of time. Then he lands a head kick on Priest, and he goes for the bro to sleep, and this, like, barely landed, and barely might be charitable here. Uh, he makes the tag to Ray. Balor's in as well. Uh, the 619 gets gets thwarted. And then it's Riddle with the floating bro off the apron. Ray successfully hits the 619 on Balor. Audience goes nuts. And then Ripley distracts the referee. And Seth Rollins appears, attacks Riddle, and then gets chased off with a chair by Ray. And Dominic walks up to Hefe. And he just puts his chin out. And he gets down on his knees and dares Ray to blast him in the face. Rock yeah. Ken Shamrock style. And Ray just can't do it. And Ray and Dominic just smiles as Ray runs into the ring into a sling blade. He's hit with a South of Heaven and Coup de Grasse. Balor pins Ray in 17 minutes and five seconds. And the Judgment Day have a big group hug at the end. Not enough hugs among all these groups that we have in professional wrestling, but um, heels so- hug. Yeah, this was like 30 minutes of the Judgment Day altogether with the promo and match afterwards with a bunch of commercials thrown in right. there too. But the audience got really hot by the end with uh, one, from 619 onward. Mm-hmm. I, I continue to, you know, I mean, the match, the wrestling is good. But to me, like what continues to stand out is is all the story stuff involving Dominic and the spot that they crafted for him here. I thought was pretty good. Um there was like something like about it that felt very much like it was like Eddie Guerrero like of him like you know um daring Ray kneeling down to get to Ray's level which is insulting in itself and then daring Ray to you know hit him in 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 the jaw with like this sort of like smirk on his face so slowly but surely like the you know transformation continues for for Dominic and it's been fun to see there's a pull apart backstage between Rollins and Riddle and now Rollins is fine. I'll accept your rematch. So it was his breaking point was him getting involved in, in the match, not the other way around. It looks like so riddle calls for a fight pit match at extreme rules. And the announcers, this, this part, maybe this is a little nitpicky, but they come back and they were like, he's going to have a fight pit match with riddle. He used to fight for a living. It's like, what am I watching? What am I, what is he doing now? Like, this is one line where it's, I understand where you're coming from, but it makes absolutely no sense in the context of this pro wrestling match that he used to fight for a living. Why would he choose? Why would Rollins pick this match with Riddle? Right. Is there an understood difference between fighting and wrestling? Where, like, fighting the intent, like boxing is to, like, knock out or, or submit your opponent, whereas wrestling is to pin your opponent's shoulders to the mat? Like, 
we're probably we're thinking way too hard. About I know. I just thought this was like an odd explanation of why this match is so he dangerous used to because shoot Riddle's for a, a real fighter. Yeah, he's yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Like Li- they branded these are going to be live rounds. We're going to see some live <laughs> rounds. Well, listen, they've they've already branded this thing as fight pit, and um, you're not really going to get around that too much. Um, Maybe Rollins is going to insist on drug testing beforehand and see if uh, if there's any marijuana. In you have system. to enter USADA for how long? Nine months before uh, entering this fight pit. Yeah, <laughs> there should have been a build up for Extreme Rules next year. Yeah, you got to weigh in and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think it's cool. And this, by the way, was the, was the other thing I, I I remembered or I was referencing Triple H bringing back from NXT. The right. fight pit. Yeah. So maybe the hacker is next. Solomon Crow is is coming back next. He's bringing oh, back boy. everything from NXT. But you know the announcers are speaking as if we know everybody knows what a fight pit is. And I venture to guess like a good portion of the audience, yes, watched everything NXT. But I mean, I would say maybe even a majority have no idea, never saw that the fight pit matches from Riddle. So yeah. they'll probably explain it next week, I guess, or not. And half your audience can tune in thinking that uh, Riddle's going to interview him on Piper's Pit. <laughs> Fight pit. Okay. Miz TV. The Miz and Tommaso Ciampa are in the ring. Miz says he's the victim of a deranged madman who crossed the line stepping into his home. And he explained that Loomis entered the home, drew a picture of his family, left it on the coffee table, and then left. They made it very clear that Dexter Loomis didn't do any harm to his family. He just did the simple uh, faux pas of breaking and entering. (laughs) Yeah. So you can still cheer for him, everybody. I mean, all he did was, you know, commit um, a criminal offense on camera yeah. that led to no charges. Probably traumatized. I mean, did traumatize his children um, and traumatized Miz forever. because a few days ago it was his daughter's third birthday and she had a Minions themed par- party and he was so worried. One of them was Dexter Loomis. He punched he punched a Minion. Yeah. Have, has Max worked up to the Minions movies yet? No, we're not at we're not at Minions yet. But I thought this would have been a hilarious bit if they had just recreated this Minions party, and then it turns out like you've got all these Minions, and then there is Midian in the middle who gets punched. <laughs> he would have hired. You think the Miz and Maurice would have hired Midian to play a Minion at Midian a three-year-old's Minion. Minions party? Okay. Well, what is the what is the man doing? Dennis, Dennis Knight. Knight. Yeah, what is he doing? Well, the right last now? I saw him, he showed up at table for three late, and they just kept it in there. He shows up late, right at the end of the show, yeah. with the Undertaker and all all of his crew, and he's wear and Dennis Knight's wearing a mask, and they're explaining we're in Florida, no one wears those. This is in 2020, and they leave <laughs> oh, right. this in in the final <laughs> copy of Table for Three. <laughs> that pandemic. Ah, that <laughs> COVID. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> How do we get on these tangents? This is why this show is at an hour and 25 minutes. It's fine. Uh, Dexter Loomis is called out by The Miz. And then we see this giant hunting knife that just slices through the ring. And he cuts it. And then it's just this long wait for The Miz, who's like standing there. And we're just waiting for like the punchline. And then finally Loomis pops up and he tries to pull Chompa into hell. Cause that's underneath the ring and wrestling is, is hell. And, yes. uh, Chompa and Miz escape doom and, uh, Chompa fights him off with a microphone. And that's how this ends with yeah. them being saved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think you and I are like the best judges of how like what barometer this Dexter Loomis Miz stuff is um I don't know working at because I think I've hated it from the beginning. I don't know about you, John. Like I've I've certainly had enough by this point where they're in the same like show where they're I think trying really hard to like you know continue to tell some I would say like relatively interesting like spooky shit with with Bray Wyatt possibly here. Um, they're doing like cartoonish spooky shit with Loomis, and it just doesn't like I know like Raw and WWE in general often ventures the camp as like sort of like I don't know like an embraced part of the variety show. It just this just does not feel like it has a place in a current like type of WWE Raw that I again I'm holding to a much higher standard now than I'm used to. Um, like this feels like it belongs in your Saturday night or Saturday morning cartoon show. We do this on main event. I think it'd be fun to have a show full of like Dexter Loomis, you know, wackiness on main event or something. Part of me gets it that like this, like Sam Shaw, he plays this character. Great. Like his, his, like the straight face he can hold the visuals. Like I can see how like a producer that works with him, like a Paul Levesque just thinks this guy is just like the fact that he was a priority to bring back tells you he sees something. I just, to me, like, I haven't enjoyed these segments, and I'm sure they're going to have some wacky match at the end of this whole thing, which I hope is well thought out because, like, I, I have no desire to see the payoff of, at the end of this. Yeah, th- like, to me, the worst is seeing Ciampa there playing kind of silent best friend accessory there who is just really kind of there to, I don't know, drag, be be dragged around by the Miz. I mean, I I... Champa is somebody that I'm fully confident that, like, you know, Hunter has big plans for, and I don't think he'll mess up. This guy was out in Harley Race's robe a month ago, and this is So to see him reduced to sort of like a side character in a comedy storyline is is kind of disheartening. Um, But fuck, man, like, he better have some big payoff for this because I just, I don't know why, like, you would do so well with all of it. Like, Dominic Mysterio has a serious storyline, yet, like, we're you know willfully playing into camp here with dexter loomis and the miz yes so there you have it uh but does have his fans and we hear from all of them on tuesdays so there you have it next week alpha academy against owens and gargano the panda express and matt riddle against damian priest for edmonton which is in canada which is where kevin (laughs) owens is from thank you kevin patrick interviews the judgment day it's time to celebrate and dominic jokes about wait guys i've got to go check on my father just kidding. Psych. And he's heard about Not. the... <laughs> Fooled ya. No, you know what the new thing is? I just learned this this weekend. Tell me. Cap. Oh. Okay. Have you heard this? Yes. Yeah. Cap. It means lie. You're lying. No cap means that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Cap. I, I, that, that's one of the very few things I am, I am up to speed on. Wow. I'm surprised. Which probably means it's, it, it's passed us by at this point. Yeah, I had no clue. Yes. So uh, he's going to hang out with Damien Priest, the legendary partier. And he says, I have a new mommy now. So this is the dual role that Rhea Ripley holds with uh, with Dominic. Yeah. And she says, and mommy knows best. So mommy knows best. listen, whatever sort of like, I think, I don't know. I thought, I thought Hogan knew best. And that proved to be uh, absolutely false. Yeah, he does not know best. Yeah. Uh <laughs> But I think whatever sort of like 
sexual tension that's going on between the two, like they're playing up for us, right? Like intentionally, wouldn't you say? Uh, or am I just like twisted? I think if you're if you're looking for it, I guess I I don't get that vibe as much off of them. Like I see it as more as just like he's under her control. Like that sort of like this Dominic. It's like he has been brainwashed by by Rhea. And I guess y- you could go to like a you know this. I just don't know many like many situations where you can get away with like you know dressing up in like all black pleather and calling each other mommy and poppy and like not be those relationships and have it be anything but sexual, but. Yeah, sure. Wrestling, well, maybe. We'll see where where it goes. Um, they have, uh, you know, Valentine's Day. They have they have a long build towards February, maybe. Mm-hmm. Awkward Dominic asking out Rhea on a date. I'm- I can't wait. What a relationship! <laughs> they walk around the corner, and there's AJ just standing there on the phone. And uh, Finn goes up to him. And is like, dude, why are you here? You're not even booked. Why'd you come all the way to uh, wherever the hell we are? And Balor says, he, he says, I never turned my back on you when I joined Judgment Day. I can't even remember at this point what all happened here. So AJ wants no part of Judgment Day. Balor asks, are you looking for a fight? But then he just smiles and hugs AJ. And AJ is left conflicted. Hmm. So this is our reminder that AJ is still here on Raw. <laughs> so they're following up on the thread that I think they tried to introduce after Balor turned. Like, remember in that multi-man match where, like, they – tried to show AJ having hesitation and attacking Finn Balor. You remember that? It was like a mm-hmm. month ago. They dropped it after that. Nothing happened after that. And maybe rightfully so, because I think they needed a bridging segment like this to show you the, I guess, I don't know, the the tension Here, within AJ. I, here's what I don't get. And I guess it's like, you can just play with, with like the past. But like, wh- where does this, this long friendship go? Like the Balor left New Japan and that opened the door for AJ to come to New Japan yeah, yeah. and pretty much take his spot as like you know, I, the Bullet Club leader. I think if you're supposed – if you're a WWE writer catering to a WWE fan, you're just supposed to think that everybody who's ever been to Japan is friends. Everybody who was ever in the Bullet Club was in the Bullet Club at the same time. They all Everyone from other. Canada knows each other. Pretty much, yeah. Um Oh, you you wrestled in Mexico. Oh, yeah, we knew each other from Mexico. We know each other from Japan. Right. You know, like and especially with Finn and AJ, I think they just know that you know, like they have a general awareness that the audience knows that these two used to be in the Bullet Club, and so they probably just assume, oh, they it's all the same time frame. You know, they did a video on Alexa Bliss, and that takes us to the main event. And dude, there were like tw- twenty five minutes left in the show when they were walking out. Uh, so it's Alexa Bliss and Bailey, and Belair, Oscar, Sky, and Kai are all ringside, and they bring up the payback match from 2017, and it turned out this was going to be payback for Bailey. Finally, five years planted yeah. that seed, and it blossomed on Monday night. So Bailey places Bliss on the desk. This is after attacking her knee, but Bliss kicks her away and does a somersault, further injuring the knee. They come back from break. Bailey goes for the Bailey to belly. 
and it looks like this awkward counter by Bliss, but then they get right back up, and then Bailey hits the Bailey to belly, so it looked like this was a actual mistake, and they just went back to it because it was going to be a near fall. Um, this kind of wakes up the crowd because the first half of this, this crowd is totally checked out. Uh, Bailey puts her feet on the ropes and Belair knocks them off and that prompts damage control to send Belair into the post. Asuka then misses the hip attack into the steps and it's Bliss with the DDT. She climbs up for Twisted Bliss but is knocked off by Io Sky leading to the Rose Plant and Bailey pinning her in 1509. Damage control continued to attack Asuka, including an assisted quebrada with Sky wearing her title belt to land on her. Belair comes back, but she is also beaten down and hit with a rose plant as the crowd boos damage control and Bailey announces she wants the title at Extreme Rules. And that ended raw. The moonsault with the belt on you. Oh, okay. I've never like I'm surprised I haven't seen that more often. Who's that supposed to hurt? I mean, obviously the, the person taking it, but. Yeah, well, how does I, that work in belt logic? Because like sometimes guys would. Anyway, doesn't I'm overthinking it. Hey, um, I thought it was. Uh, it was I, I thought this was. I thought this was right? too long, and uh, and I thought the crowd they really did not respond to this um, until like near the end. I thought this would have been a significantly better match if if Oscar was. Like th- this was like a big spot to to end the show with. Like this is like twenty minutes, well, oh, fifteen minutes plus entrances. That I, I just felt like this was. Um, I think I, I just was... didn't think it was the greatest match. So they they tried to set the story up here. I mean, number one because it was you know a rematch from the last time in San Jose, and also like they're trying to tell the story of like Alexa getting back to her older self. Also in the match, the lights happen to flicker, and. I think if you know WWE production, the lights never flicker without a reason. So couple that with like, you know, the fact that it was like Lily um, ringside watching and Alexa Bliss being in the ring might lead more to, you know, the, um, the, the guesswork that might be at play with this Bray Wyatt thing. So that might be the reason. Did the lights flickering lead to anything Did it like not on this show, not on this show. All right. Well, they, but that. they're not just flickering for no reason. No, no, I'm sure that was intentional. I totally missed that. So, I mean, it played no uh, factor in, in the match for me. Um, but that that was fine. I just, you know, for to, to, to close the show, I think the third hour is tough enough. And this just felt like um, a long match. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it most in another week without that sort of competition, I think you would have probably ended with Rollins versus um, Lashley. Because now they actually do proper main events on on Raw, um, and they probably thought this was the next best, best thing in terms of star power with Bailey, you know, in San Jose. But it's an uphill battle, you know, having a heel hometown person. But the hometown person won, yeah, uh, just a- as a heel. So you you did have that all these years later. Mm-hmm. There you go. That that was Raw, uh, a show pretty heavy on wrestling um, in terms of like, I would say storyline advancement. Like you got the, the two matches now for Extreme Rules that they added with Riddle and Rollins and uh, Bailey and Bianca Belair. Um, beyond that, I, I, I wouldn't say like there was there was too much in, in terms of, um, you know, angles on, on this show. It was more so like a lot of like wrestling that just kind of kept certain feuds like in place as they're moving towards the next show. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think we're, we might be starting to see the seeds. Oh, well, first, we got the main event for, um, or at least the, the title match for uh, Extreme Rules with Bailey versus Bianca. And then beyond that, maybe starting to sow the seeds for war games on the women's side of things. 
I was personally pretty like captivated by everything going on with the whole um, white rabbit stuff, you know, mm-hmm. online. So that to me was by far the most significant thing to come out of the show, just to kind of see what that level of teasing and storytelling by the WWE might lead to. All right, let's go to some feedback before we wrap it up and we'll kick things off on the forum with Benjamin who writes with Triple H saying that blood isn't necessary anymore. The announcement of Survivor Series War Games and another good Raw. Uh, WWE seems like the post-Vince McMahon era has a long honeymoon. I hope this is a sign that we're getting Alexa Bliss and her old character and promos back. No more doll. Well, I don't know if one goes... Uh, that that seems like a contradiction. If they're going back to the old character, I don't think they're ditching that doll. And the fact they've kept the doll throughout this whole time this yeah. year... Like I think it's it's a merchandise seller for them, and I I don't think they want to drop it. She never like stopped walking with the doll, right? There might have been the odd time, but I've always noticed that she's had it. I mean, there may be. I'm just wondering if she's specifically bringing it back now. You know, she's had it for a while. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, like on the one hand, you know, they're showing a video package of who Alexa Bliss used to be, and they're making promo references to who Alexa Bliss used to be before all the spooky stuff. And then they're also doing the light flickering. So, I mean, I think at the very least, you're promising some sort of interaction between. Again, this is all if Bray Wyatt is coming back, which I, I think an indicated guess would indicate. I think you're going to see some indication between Alexa and Bray, maybe just to kind of tie up that loose end. Because it was a big loose end, you know, that we n- never really saw the proper conclusion to. Uh, okay, we go up next to Shane McDonough, who says, Hey, guys, this was my first time attending a WWE live event since 2017. It was mid, but here are my highlights. It's always a joy watching Kevin Owens wrestle. Dominic is a delight. Bailey actually won in San Jose. And the nine-year-old sitting behind us kept screaming, <laughs> Dom, you're being manipulated during the Judgment Day match. And Miz, he's in the floor during the Miz TV segment. The negatives, the dude next to me screaming, Double D Bailey throughout the main event. Oh, God. That's painful um, to have to listen to. Much prefer, much prefer having the the children crowd. Um, wow. Dom, you're being manipulated. Yeah, that's what you think. I wish Dominic would respond to these nine year olds. Question for you guys: Why do you think AEW hasn't fully tapped into the West Coast market yet? Really wish they'd come to the Bay Area for once. I think they'd do spectacular. Interesting. Well, well, it sounds like the Bay Area is like in in the running. Like that's where reportedly the. Um, the February revolution could end up being revolution. So I, I think that it's it's only a matter of when they get there, and it looks like it won't be too long. I think that like there, there's plenty of markets. Um, you know, WrestleNomics has gone over this like unexplored markets that AEW has yet to tap into, and they've they've sort of kind of mapped out their kind of go-to cities. It's like it's Chicago and then it's, you know, we go to a different market here and then we go back to Chicago and then we go explore somewhere else and we go back to Chicago. And I'm I'm certain that the pandemic greatly slowed down expansion to different places, but there is still, like, as we saw when they went to, like, places like the Forum, like, there's still places you can go and it's like that first time, like the Bay Area that you go to that's going to have that novelty of being the first time AEW's in your market. I mean, we're going to see that in in a month's time in, in Toronto, like that, you know, they, they sold out one night, there's, and then there's still Rampage uh, the, the second night as well. But anyway, that's, uh, I'm sure that the Bay Area will probably be within a couple of months that they're there. 
Next up is uh, Moggin. Too many distraction finishes. I understand that every match tonight went out of its way to protect everyone involved, but it does feel like a way of uh, a case of diminishing returns. Everyone can't be protected. That said, Raw hummed along nicely. The U.S. title opener was very good. Bailey main evented in the Shark Tank with damage control standing tall, and the White Rabbit mystery got the ball rolling on Bray Wyatt's impending return. Between Survivor Series ditching the Raw versus SmackDown theme for War Games and the return of the Fight Pit, WWE is setting themselves up for a strong autumn. Hmm. Um. So, like, going back to the question, like, everybody can't be protected. I certainly agree. I'm also sympathetic to like the requirements that I think you know a, a TV wrestling show has to fulfill, in that it needs to always have like two stars of a certain caliber. You can't just have jobber matches for every uh, all of these matches. Um, everything has to build to something on a pay per view, or at least ideally, right? Um, and and has to build towards the future. So Lashley obviously couldn't have afforded the loss. Uh, Riddle could could afford the loss, but he needs to lose in a way that furthers his ongoing storyline. And that's why you have a distraction finish. Um, is it like could Riddle have taken a clean loss and then somehow like retain that heat for Seth Rollins to extinguish at Extreme Rules? Maybe very creatively, but I I also maybe imagine that they just wanted to go for this um, to be more efficient maybe, or maybe to not risk that. I don't, I don't have as big of an issue when it's um, when it's television. If the mindset is we get to the pay-per-view where by and large, you're going to get your big blow off finishes at those shows to make them Mm -hmm. important. That said, I think overall there is like this paranoia of just, what a clean loss will do to someone. And I think it's greatly over-exaggerated how detrimental that, that can be for, for somebody when it's, it's done in a compelling way. I don't think it, it hurts anywhere near what they believe it is. And the other yeah, point and, being, and AEW is proving that with their style I mean, of that, And that's a comparison point. I don't think it necessarily, you know, hinders somebody like what we see like hurts people are like if they disappear off television for a long time or they're just not involved in a story um that they just kind of fall by the wayside that to me is stuff that that hurts more so but the other thing is that like these distractions like at their core are to design to like get heat on the person interfering or the person that it costs the match to and mm-hmm. when you do it so repeatedly r- repeatedly you lose that impact and it just elicits more of sort of an eye roll rather than engaging you in the, like your, your baby face being cheated or mm-hmm. the villain getting his comeuppance. When you yeah. just do it all the time, you view it. This is an out to the match and not something that is building up the, the drama in a feud. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I, I think for WWE style of television, like this, it might be the most efficient way of hitting all the bases, you know, in making your champion look strong in giving the audience an actual finish on the, in the record books and furthering the feud and delivering the match. Um, They could do a draw and then have, you know, Seth Rollins and go out and say, Hey, fuck you riddle. You know, that could build heat too, but like, it just, it's just not the same. Right. I mean, on this show, you, you got, you had a winner and a loser in every match, but you also did have like distractions and run-ins in, I guess the only match they didn't have was Holland and Butch with the Street Profits. That was a clean ending, but everything else, like you did have people getting Because the Profits don't have a program. Yeah. And they viewed that one as, uh, as one that they could get away doing it. 
Yeah. There you go. Um, last it, one here is I, I consider it more of a problem with just like the, the constant strive to like have all star caliber like TV shows. You know, back when we had jobber matches, this was an issue. But when the expectation now is to have three hours of like pay per view quality matches, sometimes you might not run into like a solution. Last word comes from Saeed from Vancouver. Didn't catch much of Raw except the last bits. I'm looking forward to seeing where Finn and Styles leads to. Good to see Bailey win in her hometown. And about the White Rabbit, I found it interesting that during the Hangman game, the first letters the Rabbit spe- picked spelled out demon. All right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, then, I mean, that's another Bray Wyatt thing, isn't it? They have me hooked for Friday to see where this leads. So presumably you get your, your payoff on Friday. I'm kind of surprised like the other piece of the feedback did mention the, the white rabbit stuff. So like at this point, I, I, I kind of like if you're maybe following Twitter, maybe you would have followed it um, more closely. But like how much of the audience didn't see it at all? Yeah, but you know what? This is one of those things where. Oh, I'm not. not it's not a criticism. It's not a criticism. No, I'm, I'm just good. saying like it can. It, that's the thing where you can do things like this and it can work on different levels. If mm-hmm. you are someone that follows all of this. Like it's a it's a cool thing because you're doing all this guesswork and you're intrigued by the answer. And if you're someone that just tunes in on Friday and you're not following any of this and you get some big return, it works on that base level as well. This doesn't um, this doesn't cut off your audience if you're into all this. It's just you can appreciate this and get into it in a deeper uh, way or or not. You can just tune in Friday and you get a cool return or some kind of angle. I'd argue it's catering to a section of your audience that has been craving for this sort of like stimulation for quite some time. And if anything, it might be bringing people back if they're, if they find themselves interested in, in this sort of like, you know, scavenger hunt, uh, mystery type of thing. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Um, in the Paul Levesque era, you need to understand QR codes and you've got to be paying attention to arguments in the ba- in the background. Uh, that, yeah. And you also have to know how to Google uh, cryptic tweets from uh, th- two months ago uh, and then navigate to the second search result to uh, look up a forum thread from 15 years ago. Yes. It's just different <laughs> flavors of ice cream. There's chocolate, there's vanilla, but it's all ice cream. I would say like it's it's well conveyed. Like it's 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 conveyed well enough that like if you're in for the ride, I think you'd be really into it. You know, like like you'd be captivated by it. Um there are other examples where like people sometimes like kind of weaving this sort of storytelling in and, and just being not not effectively communicated and just being too confusing. So it's it's a good balance for me right now. Okay, we're going to sign off uh, Tuesday night. Uh, look out for uh, up next uh, with with Braden, and uh, he's going to be going through uh, up next with uh, guest Chris Wadler, I believe, is going to okay. be joining him because Davey is off to a. Uh, He's off to New York, so check out that. And he'll be, he'll away. be, he'll be enjoying those th- four dollars shot. What is it? Three dollars shots? Four dollars shots? Good lord! Yes, he will be. Uh, he will be seeing White Rabbits by by the end of Wednesday. <laughs> Chief Shots Bar and Restaurant at Queens, three p.m. on Wednesday for the Up Next Grand Slam pre-show. Yes, drink responsibly if you're yeah. hanging out on on Wednesday at Cheap Shots. And then Tuesday, we're also dropping Rewind Away, Starcade, nineteen ninety five. We'll go through the whole show. We'll. May, try and make sense of it and go through all the news from that week to end off December of 1995 as we are turning the calendar into 1996, the Olympic year in Atlanta. Plenty happening in 1996. The, the, the world was at war with Japan, evidently. 
if you're watching this show, J- yes. the Japanese were taken over. Like Sonny Ono uh, was going to buy WCW. Yeah, just like they just like Japanese bought Madison Square Garden and the what was the other Rockefeller Center? Is that it? All that and more coming up on <laughs> Rewind Away for postwrestlingcafe.com members. All all levels will get access to that show on Tuesday. So packed week. Check it all out here at postwrestling.com. And that is it. That concludes Rewind a Raw. <laughs>